Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. Take out your Bibles and open them up to Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. We'll be picking up where we left off two Sundays ago at verse 5. So if you recall, this is at the very beginning of uh, the second missionary journey, this one by Paul and Silas, and they've uh, had recently encountered Timothy and had him join them. And so we'll be picking it up at that point in verse 5, and I'll be reading down to the end of chapter 16. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. And the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. 
She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And when it was day, the magistrate sent the officers, saying, Let those men go. So the keeper of the prison reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed. Let them come themselves and get us out. And the officers told these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out, and asked them to depart from the city. So they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia, and when they had seen the brethren, they encouraged them and departed. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated.
Well, throughout the, the book of Acts, we've seen how God has been unveiling the mystery of the church. And it all began in Jerusalem during the time of Pentecost. And so at Pentecost in Jerusalem, God poured out his spirit upon his 12 apostles, and they began to proclaim in other languages the greatness of our God in his plan of redemption. And many that day, how many? Anybody remember? 3,000 got saved, okay? And the church began to grow. And they continued steadfast daily in the apostles' doctrine and teaching and prayer and, and, and communion, breaking the bread from house to house. But then as they began to grow, persecution began to happen as well. A man named Saul of Tarsus began to persecute the church, and we saw him first at the, at the stoning of Stephen, which happened in Jerusalem. Okay? But from there, we read in Acts 8.1 that the church began to scatter because of the persecution, and from that point we saw how God used those events, and we'll talk about this in a moment, how God used those events to begin to cause his church to do what he had called them to do from the get-go. So back in Acts 1, verse 8, when Jesus was talking to his apostles, he gave them a command. Do you remember? He told them to stay in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when that happened, what would they be? They would be witnesses. doesn't stop there, though. They'd be witnesses how? Where? So beginning in Jerusalem and all Judea, then into Samaria, and then into the other part of the earth. But they were liking it in Jerusalem. We enjoy fellowship. We don't want necessarily to have to go out into to other places and have to become witnesses and meet people that we don't know and, and maybe not have people like us. So God allowed a persecution to come along, and it scattered them. And so the next thing we know is that the gospel is now going from the city of Jerusalem into Samaria by the hand of Philip. Do you remember that? And so from, from Samaria, then God called Philip, and he sent him down to meet an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay? And so he meets the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch hears the gospel. He says, what, what prevents me from being baptized, from being immersed? Philip says, as long as you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he says, I do, I do. And he says, well, here it is. Let's go for it. Right? And so from that point, we also know Damascus in there as well, because I throw Damascus in there, because at that point, Saul was persecuting the church, right? And when he goes outside of Jerusalem to persecute the church, he went to where? Damascus. And why did he go to Damascus? Because there the church was already growing, okay? So we know the church was expanding. Well, then it began to expand further by Peter, and God sends Peter out along the coastline. And there, Peter's kind of kind of moved along, and again, we'll talk about this in a moment, okay, but he's moved along, and he goes from Lydda to Joppa, okay, so, but when he's at Joppa, he then has the, the, the representatives of Cornelius come to him, who was, had seen an angel, at the same time that his representatives go see Peter, Peter sees a vision, right, and so Peter goes to see Cornelius, and then all of a sudden he goes from Jerusalem to all Judea to Samaria, and now it begins to go to the uttermost part of the earth, okay? Just as God had declared, Jesus declared that it would happen that way. Well, from there, it begins to expand further because Saul became Paul. Saul had gotten saved, right? And so um, Barnabas got him, brought him to Antioch because the church, there was a church in Antioch that was growing and needed to be taught. 
And so um, the people in Jerusalem, the apostles heard about it. They sent Barnabas to go check it out, what was going on in Antioch. He goes over to Tarsus to get Saul, okay, who had been taught of the Lord now. And so, so he brings him, and they begin to teach there in Antioch. And for while they're in Antioch, Acts 13, verse 1 to 3, right? While they're in Antioch, the Holy Spirit comes, and he says, separate for me. Saul, Barnabas and Saul, for the work which I've called them. And so from that moment, from that point, they go over there to Cyprus, right? And they go to Salamis, down to Paphos. From Paphos, they see uh, Sergius Paulus gets saved. And from there, they go up into Antioch of Pisidia, okay? And then they, they witness all there in Phrygia and Pamphylia. We'll talk about that again in a moment, okay? And so the gospel is what? Expreading. It's expanding. And it's doing so by God working guiding and directing his church because they were looking to him for the guidance and direction. They wanted to serve. And those who were humble and were seeking him, he was guiding and he was directing and he was moving them in order to plant the gospel in other places. We see that then coming into today. Two weeks ago, last week was Resurrection Day, but two weeks ago we saw how Barnabas and Saul had a fight. That's how we'd look at it from our perspective, right? But they had a differences of opinion. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with him. Paul said, no, over my dead body, he ain't going with us. And so they politely disagreed, and instead of dividing, they multiplied the ministry. God used even that difference of opinion between them to, do, to multiply the ministry. At that point, Barnabas takes John Mark, and they decide to return to Cyprus and encourage the brethren. Paul takes Silas, and they go back over then into Iconium and Lystra and Derbe and Antioch to encourage the brethren there. Okay? That's where we kind of pick this thing up. Okay? That Paul and Silas are up there in the, in the uh, Pisidia, Phrygia, Pamphylia region. We'll talk about that again in a moment. It's all part of southern Galatia. Okay? But today we want to begin looking at God's guidance then. A lot of us, I don't know about you, but I do, I want to know God is leading me. He's guiding me. What's his will? I want to be, like, as we look toward this, um, to, to have a new facility. We want God to lead it. We want God to guide it. We don't want to run ahead of him. We don't want to lag behind him. We want to kind of right be there with him. But God has a lot to say in his word about how he guides and directs. Today we want to look at four specific ways, two of them are in our passage, four specific ways that God guides us. The first one is according to our values, via our desires, our values, our desires, okay? You say, hmm, that's kind of interesting. It is kind of interesting, so you got to be careful with this one, okay? But he's going to guide you via your desires. So Acts 13, we just talked about it. Why did Paul, Barnabas and Saul go to Cyprus? I believe because that was Barnabas' desire to take the gospel to his family, okay? Could I be wrong? I could be wrong, but I think that's that why they go there, okay? And then in Acts 15, when there's the division between them, again, Barnabas goes back to Cyprus. Paul goes back to the areas where they administered, but getting to those areas, when the map comes back up, you'll check, you can check this out, okay? Because I didn't really bring this up when we did it, but he's got to go through Tarsus to get there by land. By sea, they pass Tarsus, but by land, as they travel, they go through Tarsus to get there. That was his home, okay? Psalm 25, 9, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this section, that's why I'm flying, okay? Is that the humble Yahweh guides in justice, and the humble he teaches in his way. Again, those who are humble, 
he will guide. So track with me for this for a moment. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. I don't know how the eternal joins together with the finite. But I know that he does. And somewhere along the line, if you are delighting yourself in the Lord, we're told Psalm 37, right? He will give you the what? Desires of your heart. Okay? But we always want to put the, oh, he gives me the desires of my heart. No, no, stop for a second. What was the first part of it? If you delight yourself in the Lord. If you are humble, if you are seeking his face, he will what? He will instruct you. He will teach you. He will guide you. He will lead you. And he does that many times by putting those desires within you. You think it's your desires, but it's his desires that he's placing in you. Okay? Puts it as a package deal. So Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, you all know it, right? Trust in Yahweh with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways, and he will what? Direct your paths. Okay? I think a lot of those ways is by putting them in your thoughts that this is... I, I think I wanted I want to do this. Okay? When I got saved, I didn't get saved thinking I was going to be a pastor. Again, I worked um, the communication electronics board in the military. I worked with um, um, things were developing. You guys have heard the story. This was mobile subscriber equipment. Those are the things we we're kind of working on back then, you know, uh, artificial intelligence kind of stuff. That's what I thought I was going to do. But after I got saved. I went to New England in, when, with the military. I went up to what was Fort Devens up there. It was a special forces thing up there. Uh, was it Fort Devens or Camp Devens? Yeah, and um, it was small. And, um, but anyways, but it brought me back to my roots, okay? And to realize that there was a need for people to hear the gospel. How many people didn't know the Lord? And I was consumed by that. It's the first place I ever presented a message. I felt burdened. And the pastor there said, hey, just like in the, in the Bible here, the new, you know, new guy here, you guys, you want have anything to share with us? And so it was the first place. I mean, here I am. I'm a new believer, and I'm going to teach these people up in West Natick, Massachusetts. And so, but God used that opportunity, put it in my heart. Does it make sense? That there was a need for people to know Jesus Christ in New England. I'm in Augusta, Georgia. Anyways. God works in mysterious ways, okay? But that's where it all began. That's what he worked in my heart. And when I went off to seminary, I thought there was going to be a time, because I loved languages, that I was going to go to Papua New Guinea, and I was going to be a, a language translator. And then I thought I was going to Canada to plant a church in Canada. It was all set up. I mean, I had gone up to Burlington and Hamilton, and, and I had the blueprints ready. We had, there was a church there was going to call me as an assistant, and I was going to go into the, the neighboring city, and I was going to start a Bible study, and we are going to plant a church there. But I came to Augusta, Georgia, back down here, because I was already here, for my advanced course. And while I was here, the church called me that I was, had saved, been saved through the ministry, had called me to come back down. Anyways, I don't want to get all the details. But my point is that those are, many of those decisions were according to my desires. He was working within me to desire. You delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. Does that make sense? Now, there are other ways he was guiding me and directing me in that, but, but you get that, that those were desires that were within me that I could see that he was working within me. I saw the burdens that were there, and I yearned for them, okay? 
Secondly, V are our circumstances, what we commonly refer to as providence. Because it is providence. God is at work throughout the world today. There's a thing called common grace. Provenient grace. Common grace. God makes the sun to shine upon the? The just and the unjust. It's not just you believers today who woke up and there was a beautiful day today. But everybody else in the city got it too. And last night it rained. It's important for it to rain. I love when it rains in the springtime and knocks down all the pollen. I was a basket case for days this week. But this morning I feel good, you know? All the pollen is knocked down. But that rain is beautiful because it nurtures the earth. Well, guess what? Unbelievers got that rain too. Does that make sense? So God is at work all the time throughout the world, and God is at work specifically convicting the world through the Holy Spirit, right? So the Holy Spirit's active, convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He is continually at work. But for us who believe, he is especially at work guiding us and directing us. And so, Acts 8, 1 to 5, I think that he was guiding and directing the church through persecution. The church wasn't doing what he, called, what he wanted it to do, and so he allowed persecution to come in, could cause them to spread and to scatter to do what he had called them to do. All things, how many things? All. Say it again, how many? All. Things. And you already know. All I have to do is say all things, and you already know what verse I'm going to quote. How many, come on, how many, put up your hand, how many you know? All right, so help me with it. All things... To those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. His purpose. All things work together for good. So that means even the bad things, it's not just the good things, but even the bad things are working together because God is working those things for his purpose. His purpose in my life. Not my purpose, but his purpose. And you got to ask your question. This is the thing I want you to run through this whole thing. Are, is The purpose of your life, is it his is the purpose of your life his? Or is it yours? Do you want what you want? Not necessarily what he wants. Are you seeking the kingdom of Bob, put your own name in, rather than the kingdom of God? And we can sit here and we can say, oh, I mean, I got it. I'm king of God. But I struggle. I mean, I tell you that that's a battle every single day with the decisions you make and the, the desires of your heart aren't always the desires of his heart. You're not seeking for the things that are according to his will, but you're th- seeking the things that are according to your will. And I'm not picking on you because I'm looking in the mirror, okay? And this is, again, one of the sharing the wealth cards, okay? Because you're just getting it like I got it. Boom. Like, okay, God, you know. So he's working through persecution, but then he's also working through Peter. Now, that wasn't necessarily persecution. That's kind of cool stuff, right? Does anybody know how he goes from Lydda to Joppa? How does he get there? You do, you just don't remember. There was somebody who was dead. Do you remember? Say it again. Tabitha. Tabitha. And he goes and he raises her from the... He wasn't planning on that, but they heard that he was in the area. The brethren heard that he was in the area, and they sent for him. And so he goes there. So he's being guided and directed, right? And then all of a sudden, Cornelius gets his vision, and he says, send to Joppa... For a guy named Simon, whose surname is Peter, who's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. And so now all of a sudden he goes to Caesarea. He wasn't planning on going to Caesarea. Not that we know of. God was providentially guiding him and directing him as he went. Today in our passage, we see right off the bat how that from Antioch and Iconium, Derby, and Lystra area, okay, that 
Paul and Silas went into the region of um, Mysia, okay? And then we're told that they tried to go into Bithynia, but they were prevented. The Holy Spirit didn't allow them to go there, okay? Well, first they, oh, see, I got this backwards. You're going to see it backwards on the screen. Sorry about that. But they, they, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia and then forbidden to go into Bithynia. But who forbade them to go? The Holy Spirit did, okay? So again, this is going to be backwards. Sorry about that. But from here they go to Mysia, and from there, so flip this, okay? God says what? No. They go the other way, and God says no. Now, how did God say no? I don't know how he said no. All I know is they knew it was who? The Holy Spirit. They knew it was God to say no. Now, at that time, there were, like, if you go into, you're going to go to our 51st state. I'm joking, because if you're from Canada, you know you're not but that's what you hate being referred to as, okay? But you're going to go to Canada, right? But you just don't go to Canada anymore, okay? you got to go through, and you always did have to go through it, but you have to go through a what? A border entry, okay? And we used to kind of, you know, it was no big deal. It was kind of open, but now it's not kind of open. Does that make sense? Okay? And I remember the first time going into Canada for for my Canadian adventure stuff, we passed through at 3 o'clock in the morning. The guy that I went with, he'd like to do an all-nighter thing, go bowling in, 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 in Michigan and all this kind of stuff. And anyways, we wound up going through at 3 o'clock. Well, there's nobody else up there at 3 o'clock. And so they did a full search of the car. I mean, I'm laughing. I'm having like a fall over this thing. I've never been searched like this. Said, shut up, man, shut up. You know, well, you know, we got knives in the car and all that kind of stuff. We're going fishing, you know. And he's all worried. I was like, man, I don't have anything to hide. You got something to hide? Anyways, well, this is the same concept going on here. You're going from province to province. you got to go through checkpoints. So I don't know whether God was using checkpoints to close them, whether God did it in a... We're not told. We're not told how God did it. All we're told is that they knew the Holy Spirit was what? Shutting it down. You're not going to Asia. You're not going to Bithynia. Okay? So what did they do? They moved on. They went to Troas. I can't go left. I can't go right. So we'll just keep moving forward. And guess what didn't happen? The Holy Spirit didn't block their way. They knew what they were called to do. They were called to what? Go and preach the gospel. That's exactly right. They're called to go make disciples, right? So they're going. Can't go left. Can't go right. We're going to go straight forward, okay? So they go to Troas, okay? Well, in Troas, we see the next thing that happens we see there's a special revelation. While we saw already saw special revelations, we talked about that when we talked about Peter with Cornelius. Both of them at the same time were having special revelation, okay? Um, Cornelius has an has a angel come see him. Peter has a, has a vision, okay? God doesn't always work through special revelations. Sometimes he's working through our desires. Sometimes he's working through circumstances. But sometimes, not as often, he does things in a miraculous manner. Let's be honest. Don't you look for that, that plane that does the, the smoke signs in the sky? Now, uh, you young kids, you haven't got a clue on what this means. But I remember this as a child, okay? That gimbals, they go up there. And I was always impressed. I mean, they turn on that smoke. Gee, that guy was impressive. And I, and it was, gimbals would... would uh, you're, some of you are looking at me, what's gimbals? It's kind of like a Macy's or one of those big, one, anyways, up north. Anyways, and so they would advertise in the sky. Say again? 
You don't even know a Sears, but better than Sears. I mean, big Sears. Anyways, no. That's something, boy. Anyways, yeah, Gimbals was up here. Anyways, so, but for Bob, that's how Bob wants God to do things. Go to Africa. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I saw a sign. Literally. That's what we want. We want a sign that's going to tell us, do this. Witness to your neighbor next door. Yeah, that's exactly, oh yeah, you're good, that's exactly, but Lord, I'm confused, which side did you want me to go to? I wanted to go to both sides, but we're looking for this sign, God, I want this sign, I want a special revelation given to us. Well, we saw that when they set aside Barnabas and Saul, but we see that here as well, that at this moment, they're in Troas, probably trying to decide what the next phase is then. They're going throughout Mysia, they're proclaiming the gospel, and they're trying to decide what's the next thing that's for us to do. And so they, Paul has a vision. Now, this is an important transition here. There's, there's specific points of transitions in the book of Acts. Okay? One happened on Cyprus when Sergius Paulus was saved. That's when Saul became Paul. And Paul begins to take a greater place of the ministry. Okay? In this passage, something important happens, and I have it underlined. Okay? And so, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had, he had seen the vision, immediately who? We. We. If you go back in your Bible and you look before it, what is the, 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 the plural pronoun that's being used? Go ahead, somebody look at it. What's the plural pronoun that's being used before that verse? They. They, 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 they. All of a sudden becomes we. Guess who lived in Troas? Luke. And at this moment, Luke joins the, Paul's entourage. And so now he is taking ownership as well. He's seeing this ministry as his. This is really cool stuff. This isn't just Paul's ministry, but we, after he saw the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. Not that God had called Paul, but God called us. He had taken ownership of the gospel. I don't know whether he was saved there in Troas. I don't know whether he was a believer already. We're not necessarily told. But we're told that this is where Luke begins. And who's the author other than God, I get God, okay? But who's the human author of the book of Acts? Luke. Isn't this kind of cool stuff? Okay? So the stuff you're going to get from now on, from this point on, is firsthand knowledge. The stuff before, he had researched and heard about. Does it make sense? And he was writing it down, just like the, the gospel of Luke. Okay? He says, he's writing to Theophilus, and, he's, and, he's, and he had made a, a thorough study and research of this, and he's given an account of this. Well, this is where Luke now joins them, so everything we're going to read from this point on is a first-hand account of somebody who was there. Kind of cool stuff, right? So he didn't have a special revelation. He didn't have a dream. Paul had a dream. He shared it with the others. They discussed it. And they believed that this dream was kind of like Daniel's dream, kind of like 
Pharaoh's dream, or Nebuchadnezzar's dream, do you get what I'm saying? That God was working through this dream to guide him and direct him. So he heard a man from Macedonia say, come over here. And so they what? So they went. So they went to Samothrace. From Samothrace, they go up to Neapolis. From Neapolis, they go to the chief city of the region, Philippi. Okay? And so they go up into the Philippi, and this is where we see the rest of what's going to go on today. Now, what I need to do is end with this part, because this is the fourth way that God reveals to us and guides us. And it's the chief way, honestly, and it is through the Scriptures. Everything he does is in accordance with what he's already written. He is the same yesterday as he is today, and he will be forever. He does not contradict his own self. Okay? So, Acts 11. Peter was telling the, um, the, the guys back in Jerusalem what happened when he was with Cornelius. And he's telling them all how the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he says... Um, then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water. He remembered what? Scripture. Now, Scripture hadn't been written yet, but yeah, but exactly right. He knew what it was. It was the word of the Lord. That is just the same as the word of God, right? So he went back to the word of God, and that confirmed what was going on. He said, look, I saw they got the same gift we got. That kind of makes sense. And then I remembered the word of God. And the word of God confirmed everything that was happening. Now, he could have gone back further into the, into the Old Covenant, where God very clearly said that he was going to send the Messiah to be the light of the, the Gentiles, the light of the world, light to the Gentiles. Okay? And so there was much confirmation in God's word that, that what was happening was according to God's plan in unveiling the, the church. Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. I will guide you with mine eye. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We can go on and on. There's tons of verses. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. You know, the word of God is what? Theonoustes. It's, it's God-breathed. And it's profitable for us to equip the man of God to do all good works. Okay? God does these things, and he guides us and directs us through his word. He places his will. If only I knew his what? His will. I challenge you, because you have the ability now, you can take your blue letter Bible, you can go to Bible Hub, you can do eSword, which you can download and do it offline on your laptop. That's one I use, because I hate having to be online to do my stuff. So I got all my stuff offline that I can do all this stuff. And just do a search. Will God. Both words happening in the same, same passage. Now you're going to get, if you do it that way, you may get that God will do such and such and da 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 okay? But it, you can even make it more specific. Will of God, okay? And you can find out what the will of God is. God's got a lot of places in his word. What his desire and his will is. God desires all men to be saved in, come to the knowledge of the truth. That's his will. Thelao, that's it. Thelma. That's his, that's his desire. That's his will. Okay? He desires his will is for us to be sanctified. Um, he writes to Thessalonians. So, what's the purpose, though? This is really, as we get into this, the meat of the passage, He's going to talk about then what's the purpose of his guidance. When he guides his children, when he guides his humble servant, what is the reason, what is the purpose that he guides us? It's always for the spread of the gospel. We want God to guide us 
for other things, for things for us, for Bob's kingdom. But Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God in his righteousness. And then all these things will be under you. Why, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where the moth and rust doth corrupt, but rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And so we're always looking to the earth. We want things for ourselves, and we want God to guide us for us. But the ultimate purpose for God always is the spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel. The spread of the gospel. The establishment of his kingdom. The spread of his kingdom. This health and wealth stuff is bogus. That's man-centric. Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. It's all about God. But I want life to be about me. Acts 16, 14, then, we read about this seller of purple. Her name is Lydia. Does anybody know where she's from? Thyatira. Do you remember that map that I had up there earlier? Do you, do you remember where Thyatira is located? In one of the areas they were forbidden to go to. Isn't that kind of cool? Yeah, it's in, it's in the province of Asia. It's in the province of Asia. It's outside of Ephesus. And they were forbidden to go there because God has another what? An appointment for them. And the appointment he has for them is a, is a, is a widespread appointment. It's going to happen there in the, in the, the, the city or the, the colony, if you would, of Philippi. And we're going to see three different appointments that he has for them. This first one with his, was Lydia, who was a seller of purple. They happen by happenstance to meet. No, of course. Circumstances. God is leading providentially, right? Because they go down to the river to pray. It sounds like a good song, doesn't it? Go down to the river to pray. Anyways, and so they went down to the river to pray, and there they met Lydia, because she was going down to the river to pray, and that's where they were having their prayer meetings, okay? They didn't have a church, synagogue, right? But they were worshiping God there. And so he goes down where they're worshiping God, Yahweh, the true God. And he begins to give them the gospel. Apparently, she gets saved, okay, because she decides that she wants to be immersed, right? She gets baptized, okay, and then she invites them over to her, her house, right? So she gets saved, but what we see in the midst of it, that the Lord had what? Opened her heart. Now we get into some of this other guidance stuff, where it kind of makes us a little bit wishy-washy, like, eh. I'm not quite sure. Again, how does the what? Eternal join with the, the finite. Because I believe in free will, but I also believe in election. How the two come together, I don't know. I really don't care. That's God's job. But what I read in this passage is that while she heard the presentation, God what? Opened her heart just like he did for the believers, for the apostles in Luke 24, when he came into the, the room after he had been resurrected, and we're told specifically that he opened up their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. And if you're like Bob, you want to ask the question, why didn't he do that three years before that? Yeah, maybe they weren't ready. Maybe so. I don't know. He didn't tell me. God is sovereign. That's exactly right. And he doesn't have to give an account to Bob. And that's the whole part here, okay? There are some things that are in there that I have to look at, and i got to say what? 
I don't know. He doesn't have to begin to count the bob. Does it make sense? But I, he reserves to write. He reserves the right to open up the hearts. Now, what I do know, again, is that God desires all men to be saved and that the Holy Spirit is in the world convicting everyone of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Does it make sense? Maybe this is just part of this. Maybe she was more open to this because she was seeking after God. I don't know. There's a lot of things we can play it out, okay, and look at it and try to justify this position or that position. I'd rather leave it be wide open, okay? I, it's, not my, it's not my call. God calls me to do what? Go out and witness. Some water, some sow, but what? God gives the increase. God's the one who saves. I don't save anybody. Does that make sense? I may have joy of being a fruit picker, but I didn't bring the fruit. Okay? So I don't know how it plays out, but he's opening up hearts. Okay? Ephesians 1, that's Paul's prayer for the church of Ephesus as well, that their heart would be opened up. From there, then, okay, that's kind of exciting stuff. But now they're going through Philippi, and they start being followed by this, this teller of futures, this fortune teller, okay? And so all those verses up there, you can look at those later. In the Septuagint, it's the exact same Greek word, okay, as what you see here, okay? She's a fortune teller, okay? Um, this is one of these things that were condemned in the law, okay? That's who she is. Okay? So I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But what we do look at here is the reference to the specific spirit that she had. She had the spirit of pythos, python. Okay? You say, python? Oh, it's a snake. Well, isn't that kind of interesting how all that plays out? But anyways, but this was um, pythos, pythos was um, a mythical snake that was guarding um, um, uh, a region of Gaia and it was killed by Apollos. Apollos then took that location, again, this is all Greek mythology, okay, and established the Oracle of Delphi. So for some of you who have looked into some of this stuff, speaking in tongues and all that kind of stuff, the Oracle of Delphi is huge in all this, okay? So I just want to, um, that's the only reason I'm bringing this part out, okay? And Pythia then becomes the, the virgin prophetess who is the Oracle of Delphi, okay? And so, and she's being reserved for Apollos, Okay, so this girl has the spirit of Pythia or Python, okay, of this whole idea, okay, and so it's put as a spirit of divination because um, they believed that Pythia was the chief um, prophetess, uh, declarer of the future, okay, and so they believed then that she had, remember, because it says, it doesn't say that she has it, it says that she was proclaimed to have. Okay, so that's what they believe. They believe that this is what she had. What did she have? A demon. She had a demon. Okay, and Paul knew that it was a demon. Now I want you to think about this. You're you're traveling downtown, and 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 you you want to give the gospel out, and somebody's following you, saying, "Listen to these men." They're, they're, they're proclaiming you the words of salvation of the Most High God. What are you thinking? Yes! God's got a banner coming right behind us, right? Paul knew this isn't right. This isn't how God works. And he knew who she was. She was working for these guys, proclaiming the horse races, if you would. And they're making a fortune offer because they're betting on, on the, the proper... Um, Winner. Does that make sense? You can kind of say it plays out. They're putting money on the right stocks. 
They're putting it into to the right um, positions. They're making money off this girl. I wonder sometimes if she was hired out as a fortune teller. Picture the ones all around our city right now. And people would go to have their palms read or their futures told. And they would pay her money. But she was a slave. So who got the money? The owners. You get it? So she's proclaiming this. Paul says, he turns around and he says, Spirit, what? Come out. And what happens? It comes out totally, not partially. For some, this means nothing to you, but for some, it's important to you. It was a total deliverance. You never see, never, and I'm stating it, okay? You never see in God's word a partial deliverance. Say it again louder. Amen. (coughs) You never see partial deliverances. The only time in God's word that you ever see anyone, (coughs) sorry, is when Jesus talks about the man who is clean to the evil spirit. The evil spirit goes out about, can somebody go give me some water? Thank you. Um, That, (coughs) sorry, allergies come back. Um, Cleanses the evil spirit out. And then after some time, he comes back. And he finds it what? They'll bring you one. Thank you, though. He brings it, find, not just empty, but it's clean. Clean and empty. Nothing has taken its place. Nothing has taken its place. So he comes back in and he invites his friends. The very most important thing to do when delivering somebody with an evil spirit. Say it again. Go ahead. They need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They need to be what? Bless you. Thank you. They need to be saved. That's exactly right. Uh, now, some of you have talked to me. I've had my experiences in this realm. Previous church I was in, I had a guy who was demon-possessed, demon-filled, in my office, things were moving around my office. Blinds were clicking. This is true. Blinds were clicking. Um, things were being moved to my shelf. Um, uh, anyways, getting ready to fall. We got down to pray, got back up. Pictures of my family were on my desk. were all flipped over. This guy wouldn't get saved. Wouldn't get saved. I mean, I'm thinking like, this is like the, the guy with the Pharaoh with the, with the frogs. You know, he's okay with his frogs. He, he didn't like what was happening. I mean, pictures were being turned, just like things were being in my office, right? Now, I didn't see things move. I saw the result of them being moved, okay? In the midst of all this, with this, the static electricity, everything's charged in there, as all I can tell you this, okay? Is I asked God to open my eyes so I could see what I was fighting against. And, and can I be honest with you? God told me I was an idiot. I didn't need to see what I was fighting. I didn't need to see. It was enough that I knew. Does it make sense? And I called a woman who also I knew who had dealt with um, demonic things in the past. And we were praying over him. And, and the guy had no desire. Didn't, had no desire to confess sins, no desire to be cleansed. That was good for him. This sounds awful. Think about it. Because if he's not willing to get saved, it'd be worse for him to walk away and to be filled later. That's what Jesus is saying. 
He's already demon-possessed. He's already struggling. He's already seeing things in the mirror and all this kind of stuff. How much worse could it be? But one thing I learned in that moment as well, and it's confirmed in the scriptures, God had no, or Satan had no, no power over me. Years ago, when I was still in the military, I was after I was being saved, I, went, I was in Atlanta for TDY, and I had gone and seen somebody speak. I came home to my home, my hotel room, and I sat down in the chair to read my Bible. I turned the lamp on, sat down, the lamp went off. That's kind of weird, right? So I get up, see if I pulled the, the, the plug out of the wall or whatever. No, it was all good. Flick, flick, turn it back on. Sat down and read my Bible. The light went off. I got down on my knees. And I said, God, there's a war going on here. I want to read your word. And I haven't got a clue what's happening. But I'm asking for your protection so I can read this word. So I turned the light back on. I sat down in that chair. And guess what? It stayed on. Well, it stayed on. Amen. I could tell you other stories where I've encountered. I talked to demons. I know it. Okay? The key of this whole thing is the individual needs to get saved. Now, what we're not told here, what we're not told here, being honest, is whether she gets saved or not. In the name of Jesus, Paul eradicates the demon from her. And it's full. Now, whether she got saved or whether she was re-inhabited, I can't answer that question. Does it make sense? We're not told that. But the power of Jesus Christ was that powerful. It's not partial. <laughs> it's exactly right. Jesus is going to do it. It's going to do it. All the way. So then we have this last, the jailer is in Philippi. Not a lot of time to talk about it, but that's okay. You guys know this story very well. There's four things that we seek very quickly here, and that is the cause of their incarnation, or incarn incarceration, their incarnation, their incarceration. Why were they incarcerated? Why, why were they incarcerated? Why were they thrown in jail? They threw out, they threw out a demon. They were, not just because they were preaching the name of Jesus. Now, this is important. They were okay with, with them proclaiming until it started to affect their pocketbook. You're going to see the same thing in Ephesus. When it starts affecting the pocketbook, people start to complain. Why? Because the God of this age is what? Materialism. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, that same passage of seeking first the kingdom of God, he says, you can't serve God and mammon. Mammon is the things that money buys. Bring it into our common colloquialism, it's materialism. You cannot serve materialism and God at the same time. You'll love one and despise the other. You'll serve one and abuse the other. It doesn't happen. You can't do both. Choose. So it's like Joshua, right? Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? So what was the cause of their incarceration? Honestly, straight down. They were causing some, some, some struggles to people's pocketbooks, okay? They delivered the girl of the demon. She couldn't tell the future anymore. These guys lost their money, their cash cow, okay? So, but note then, then when they go to the magistrates, right? They can't just say that. So what do they say to the magistrates? They're being disruptive. They're being disruptive, and they're teaching things that are unlawful for us as Romans. But note they don't get into what? 
details. That's exactly right. There's no details. Did you ever notice that with the media and social media? There's not details. It's always these generic things. It happens. The extent of their incarceration, look at it. Their clothes were torn off. I mean, it wasn't just like they were treated, you know, like this and they were moved from here to here. No, man, they're being beaten. Their clothes are being torn off. They have stripes laid upon them. They're thrown, literally the word ekbelo, they're thrown in the prison. And I think it really happened that way. I think they were like manhandling them and just tossed them into the inner prison. And then they put stocks on them. So, so they can't go anyplace. Because when the, when, the, when the jailer heard about all that, you know, oh, you got to do this and make sure you don't let him go, he's a Roman jailer, right? He wants to make sure that they're there. So they're in the inner part of the prison. Not just in the outside part, they're not getting out. They're on the inside, and they got stocks on them. But God, right? But God. Because the effect of their incarceration on them was what? Think about it. If you were them right now, what would the effect of your incarceration be upon you? Would you be bemoaning right now? Would you be calling your lawyer? Would you be, would you be trying to write letters to the editors? Would you be crying? Would you be, would you be yelling at God? Not these guys. What was Paul and Silas doing? They were singing praise. They're praying and praising Yahweh in the midst of the prison. Now, this is kind of fun. Because the, the earthquake happens when? When does it say? Doesn't it give us a time? About midnight. About midnight. I don't know when they're thrown in there, but I'm thinking this is ours, because it was probably during the daytime that they were thrown in there, right? So they're probably in there for, for hours, praying and praising God. Remember, it's Paul who wrote in Philippians 4, and Justin quoted part of that earlier, be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and mind in Christ Jesus. So at this moment, I think he's living it. And you remember, he's writing that to who? The Philippians. Philippians. Those are believers from Philippi. Where is he at right now? In Philippi, in a Philippian jail, okay? And so, so he's saying, look, man, you know, this is how it plays out, okay? And you know my testimony. I did this when I was with you. And so they praise God, and, and we're told specifically that the prisoners, the prisoners were listening. So this wasn't silent prayer. This wasn't, we're going to go to McDonald's and let's pray over our food. Jesus, thank you. You know, I mean, you know, so we don't want anybody else to know that we're doing this. But, we're, but and I'm not saying you got to stand up and you got to. Hey, I know you guys haven't prayed for your food, so I'm going to pray for you right now. Okay, God, we thank you for all the food that all these heathen are eating. I don't think they did that. <laughs> no, 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 don't do that. <laughs> That's not how to win friends and influence people. <laughs> but you pray. And you don't pray silently, you pray. You pray out loud. And you know what? People what? They listen. They hear you. They see you. I've had people come up to me and say, you know, I saw you pray. Thank you so much. That was a blessing for me. It's, a, it's just a testimony. 
and your people around the table, so it's not like you're going to say it real loud, but you're praying. So they're singing, and you go, when I sing sometimes, what do you like to say about me, Jose? I sing how? No, no, how do I sing? Like I'm singing an opera, okay? And so, I lie to, anyways, and so I could just see me in the prison, and I'm going to belt it out, you know? And uh, try not to hit those high notes because my voice goes away. But anyways, but, but yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to belt it out. Hopefully I would. Do you get it? Hopefully I'd be like Paul and, Paul and Silas that night. So the fruit of their incarceration, the prisoners, they listened. And they what? They remained. They stayed. When the, when the earthquake happened and the doors were opened, God worked a mighty work. They were all get-out-of-jail-free cards. They could leave right away. Boom! Wasn't it the will of God? I mean, I mean, God was working in a mighty way, but they didn't go. Isn't it amazing that they understood the will of God at that moment was not for them to escape from the prison? Because that wouldn't be righteous. But their righteous act was showing the holiness of God. And these prisoners, who were only under the influence of praying and singing praise to God for a couple hours, all stayed. Would be that my, the, the testimony of my life had that kind of impact upon others. I think this is the greatest miracle in this whole passage. We, we miss it. But you got all, I mean, think about it. These guys are in there for a reason. I mean, it wasn't like a church group that was all there. Ah, you know, let's all pray together. No, these guys are, you know, thieves, whatever, that are in there, and they stuck. And then you had the jailer, right? The guard. He knew his plight. As a Roman, if you would, because, again, this is a colony of Rome, okay? And so for him to lose his prisoners was death. And so he's going to kill himself. So he didn't go through the torture that he'd go under. And I don't know how, what he said, but Paul heard him. Paul knew that he was going to do it, and Paul cried out, said, don't harm yourself. We're all still here. Could you imagine being that Roman jailer at that moment? All the doors are wide open, and you go in, and all your prisoners, even though they're all freed of their shackles and everything else, we're all just sitting there waiting on you. Hey, George, we're still here. We're just waiting on you. Come lock us back up. You're like, am I just like dreaming this? Is this like, this isn't really real? So what's his response? Apparently he heard them too. Do you get it? We're not told he heard them. But he knew that they were the responsible parties for this. And he comes down on his knees to him and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Sounds like a good memory verse. <laughs> Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they, not just Paul, they. Don't you wonder who the they were? Was it Paul and Silas? Could there have been... Well, Luke wasn't there. It was just Paul and Silas. It could be, it could be, it could be. That's what I'm saying, it could be Paul and Silas. But could there potentially be some prisoners 
who gotten saved? And we just don't read about it? I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I kind of ponder this. I mean, I, I'm good with saying it's Paul and Silas. But the rest of his prisoners stayed. Something happened in their life to make them want to submit to the rules that they weren't willing to submit to hours before. Are you tracking with me? I don't know. It just makes, I, you know you have that list of things you want to find out from God? This is one of those places I want to, I mean, what happened that night? Man, there was more than what I'm reading right here. There's a whole lot more that's happening. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. You and your household. The man of the family, men, you are critical in the faith of your family. If it's not real to you, it won't be real to your kids. If it's only your wife, it's for the weak. That's why you see kids grow up and leave the church, because it wasn't real to dad. You believe, and your household will follow. Isn't that what we saw with Cornelius? It's exactly what we see here. And so he goes, they preach, we're told, they teach the entire household, and then they all believed. This was important enough for dad in the middle of the night to get everybody together to come hear it. And everybody, and it's his household, and it's in, um, in the Talises, those who are his. I think that includes the slaves and everybody else. He brought them all together. Guys, you got to hear what this people, these, these guys got to tell you. And then he cleansed their wounds and sent them back into jail. Could you imagine being that? I don't want to send you back. Well, you know, you got, this is where we belong. We were put here, and I'm not going to teach the rest of the passage. We'll talk about it when we get to, I think, chapter 27 or whatever, where Paul is dealing with the Roman um, system, okay, and what he's supposed to do. But clearly, clear to just suffice it to say at this moment that Paul knew his rights, okay? And so he didn't, wasn't just going to be allowed to let everything sweep under the rug. He wanted things to be dealt with in a righteous manner, okay? But for us today, when we're looking at how God's moving, do you see it? God had an appointment in Philippi. This is exciting stuff. Paul's going to get into Asia. He's going to go to Ephesus. It's going to be a great place for him. But I wonder whether Lydia goes back and starts paving the way. So when he's there, he's already, there's already a, 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 a root that's already grown. So in the end, how do you determine God's will for your life? Are you looking for the skywriter? Yeah, you know, but I can't. I've got to look to God's word. So that's the next point. Do you have a steady diet of God's word? Look, God declares his will in his word. And if you're not reading his word all the time, you won't know the truth. Jesus said that. He says, if you abide in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's where the truth comes from. It doesn't come from blog sites. It doesn't come from podcasts. It doesn't come from uh, pundits. It comes from God, from his word. Spend more time. This is my challenge. Spend more time reading God's word, listening to God's word, than you do listening and reading people talk about God's word. Because that's just what the Pharisees did. They read about people talking about God. Read God's word. He's the authority. And he gave it to you to read. And if you spend more time in his word, 
then the Holy Spirit will guide you. He promises that. I believe it. Is the general bent or purpose of your life to benefit you or God's kingdom? That's a hard question to answer, okay? I mean, like, inside hard. But answer it. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for how you guide and direct in our lives, Lord, in so many different ways. I just really appreciate, Lord, how you have, you have led me on the path of my life, my journey. And Lord, I know that you desire that for others as well. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to want to be about your kingdom's work and that you would show us, Lord, where you want us to serve. Lord, I know that you got us all called to be your proclaimers of your truth whatever area that you have us in. So, Lord, I pray that we would have a desire for you. I pray that there would be a fervent desire in our hearts that we would see people come to know you as their Savior, Lord. In Christ's name, amen.